0: Our reading this morning is taken from Mark chapter 14, verse 41 to verse 46. Mark chapter 14, verse 41 to verse 46. And it came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Let us rise, let us be going, see my betrayer is at hand. Verse 43. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs, from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under God. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. Let's come to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. and We thank you for this faithful account Um, of the Gospel of Mark. We thank you for what you have been teaching us as we've been going through this book, verse by verse. And we ask again for your strength and help. I pray, Lord, that you would give me clarity of speech. I pray that you would accompany the preaching of your word with power, that you would also, Lord, open our hearts to hear your word, and that not only to hear it, Lord, but to put it in practice. In all the things, Lord, we ask that your name be glorified. In the precious name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Today I want to speak to you about the arrest of Jesus. The arrest of Jesus. What are we to make of the arrest of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Does it matter to our life with God? How should it influence How we live each day? Now, we are asking these questions this morning because we are in Mark chapter 14, verse 41 to verse 46, the passage that I just read. Uh, Over the last uh, few Sundays, we have been looking at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And last Sunday, Jesus finished his blood-soaked prayers to God in that garden. And while Jesus is was on his knees or is on his knees, Judas and his new friends are on their way to come and take Jesus into custody. And so just cast your eyes with me there on that passage we read in Mark chapter 14 verse 41 to verse 46. Because in this passage we have an account of the arrest of Jesus uh, by Judas and the crowd. The soldiers. There are two truths I just want to briefly draw to your attention this morning to help us answer that question what are we to make of the arrest of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? There are two truths. The first truth I want us to see in this passage is that it teaches us that Jesus is God arrested by us. Jesus is God arrested by us. Now, as you remember, it is uh, Thursday night in Gethsemane. Jesus is weeping in prayer before God in the garden. His three disciples have spent most of the time fast asleep. The other eight have been stationed uh, outside by the garden entrance. Now, after praying for the third time, our worn out and blood-soaked Lord Jesus gets up Uh, He goes on to check on his disciples for the last time. And as Jesus is checking up on them, uh, a large convoy of people uh, with torches are bundling their way through the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Mark tells us that they are armed with deadly weapons. Among this uh, large group of people is an army of Roman reginaires, numbering over 200 soldiers. Some even estimate that it may be as many as 500. They have come with religious officials and temple guards. They have come to arrest Jesus. And leading them from the front is the disciple of Jesus, Judas Iscariot. He is in charge of the entire operation. And here is how Mark records it for us in the verses we just read, from verse 41 to verse 44. I'll read again. And he came the third time, And said to them, that's the Lord Jesus, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs, from the chief priests, and the scribes, and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him, and lead him away under God. So we see here that Judas is calling the shots. He has figured out where Jesus is going to be found, and he has planned it all out in terms of how to come and identify Jesus. To the, to the to the soldiers. and as soon as they see Jesus, Judas we are told goes up to his master and friend Jesus and with that famous Judas kiss he ensures that Jesus is bound hand and foot and taken away by the soldiers. We read that in verse 45 to verse 46. and when he came he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, And he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. That is, they seized Jesus. Now, as we read these verses, Mark wants us to grasp that this arrest of Jesus uh, is the work of Judas. He wants us to be shocked at what Judas is doing. And that is why he jogs our memory in verse 43. In verse 43, he, he makes it a point that Judas is one of the twelve. That's what we read there, isn't it? While we was still speaking, Judas came. One of the twelve he is one of the twelve apostles. So, what Mark wants us to do is he wants us to refresh our minds, to take our minds back to previous chapters. He wants us to remember that Jesus personally called Judas to be one of his apostles in Mark 3. He wants us to remember that Jesus gave his heart to Judas, his full heart to Judas, choosing Judas by his grace to be with him while he was on earth. And since then, Judas has been on the road with Jesus. He has walked, eaten, laughed, toiled, and perhaps even shared tears with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Judas has been getting the best mentorship any person can ever get in this world. He has walked with God and he has been taught by God himself, God the Son, and that has happened every day over the last three years. Jesus has invested not just his time in Judas, he has poured his heavenly power in him. He has enabled Judas to preach powerfully throughout Galilee. He has helped Judas to through his power, through Jesus' power to cast out evil spirits. Judas has been invested with miraculous signs along along with the other 11 disciples. This is on top of Judas himself seeing the life of Jesus, seeing Jesus walking on water, seeing Jesus feed the 4,000, the 5,000, seeing Jesus drive out that demon, uh, the, the legion in Mark 5. Judas has seen Jesus in action, and he, he has learned from Jesus in action, and he has actually himself tested the powers of the age to come. He has tested the powers of the kingdom. And our Lord Jesus has given Judas the weighty responsibility of being the trusted treasurer of the new community of God above the rest. John tells us that Judas is responsible for the money bank. So this is a man who has been loved and cared for by Jesus. In fact, a good case can be made that until this treason of Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas has been perhaps the closest friend of Jesus outside Peter, James, and John. When we look at the a sitting arrangement at the Last Supper, we see that John is sitting at Jesus' right hand. That is the place of the honored guest. Judas Iscariot is sitting at Jesus' left. In the ancient world, it was known as the place of the intimate friend. And that, of course, is in line with what we read in Psalm 41, verse 9, this prophecy concerning Jesus. Says even my close friend, in whom that's it, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. That close friend, of course, is Judas, and this is what makes this sin in Gethsemane so heart wrenching, as we see Judas then coming to Jesus, pronouncing a death sentence by arresting Jesus, by giving Jesus away, by directing the the, the, the soldiers to seize Jesus. We are seeing a man who has received so much love and affection from the Lord Jesus Christ. We are seeing this man pronouncing death on his closest friend. It is our friendship. But it is more than just a friend pronouncing death sentence on, 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 on his friend. Judas is not just backstabbing anybody here, Judas is working to put behind bars the God who created him. As Jesus reminds us in verse 41, I hope you didn't miss that in verse 41. Jesus says in verse 41, he says, The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. The the title Son of Man, as we have been learning over the last four weeks, means Jesus, in fact throughout Mark, means that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. So in verse 41, Jesus is saying, He is God among us. And it is as God among us that is being thrown in jail by human beings that he created. It is God among us that is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Jesus is our holy God, deserving our worship and adoration. And yet we see people if fashioned with his very hands putting their filthy, nasty, sinful hands on him. Here, beloved, is the author of life, having his life stolen by creation. This is the father being manhandled and put under lock and key in the garden of Gethsemane by his own children. And the tragedy is that the first of Judas here does not just belong to Judas alone. The face of Judas is my face. It is your face. It is the face of all of us. All of us are rebels against God. All of us desire to put God in a cage. Now you might dispute that as you are listening to that. I don't arrest God. How have I arrested him? I'm not the one who was in Gethsemane. But think about this for a minute. What Judas and Co are doing is the very essence of all human sin. Every sin you commit is an insurrection against the God who created you. Sin is not some error of judgment as, we, as one of the scientists recently used it to say, I, 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 I made an error of judgment. No, sin is not just an error of judgment. Every sin is staging a coup against the regime and authority of God. It is putting God under house arrest. When I sin, I am saying, God, get out of my life. Oh, I I want you just to sit there and keep quiet. That's what sin is. Sin is storming the garden, laying your hands on God and defying his authority. It is telling God, I am in charge now. Shut up and just be quiet. That's what every sin is. Every lie, every gossip, every lust, every selfishness, all the sins of thought, word, and deed, all of them is treason against God. But someone may say, well, I never really sinned against God like that. Well, the Bible says in 1 John 1 verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. All of us, the Bible says, are sinners who are falling short of God's glorious and perfect standard. There is no human being who does right, not even one, says the Bible. All of us are like sheep that have gone astray. Each one to his own way. All of us are Judas. All of us are traitors against God. Sin isn't just things we do against God. The very essence of sin is that we put ourselves first and we put God second. Even if we do good things, but they are about us first rather than God, then we are being traitors against the God who created all things and owned all things. Who alone should take first place in our lives? You and I are no different from Judas. Every day you put God in your little box. Every day you bind God at hand and foot. Every day you rob Him of power over your life. You put yourself in charge. Now I don't know where you are at in your life at the moment. But here is what I know. You cannot have life with God without first accepting this truth. You need to accept that you are a traitor against God. You need to accept that you are a natural-born rebel like Judas who deserves eternal punishment, the gloom of utter darkness from God. Every relationship with God starts there. No one can be forgiven of their sin by God without first Coming to terms with this truth, not just knowing it intellectually, but owning it. I am a rebel before God, allowing that truth to penetrate your heart and convict you. Taking it on and saying, I have sinned against him. I am a sinner through and through. It is you accepting first and foremost that Jesus is God arrested, not by someone else. That is true, but fundamentally by you. Jesus is God arrested and exploited by me, by us. Do you see yourself in such light? Do you see your your reflection in the face of Judas? Do you accept that you are a traitor like him? Well, if you do, then the second and final truth in this passage is for you. The first truth we've seen is that Jesus, this passage teaches us that Jesus is God arrested by us. Jesus is God arrested by us. And once we accept that truth, we are ready for the second truth of this passage. We can benefit from the second truth of this passage, which is this, Jesus is God arrested for us. Why is Jesus being arrested? Well, Jesus is God being arrested not for himself. He's being arrested for you, friend. For us. That's the second truth. The most shocking thing about the arrest of our Lord Jesus is not that it was done by his closest friends. That's not what even Mark wants us to be shocked about. No, what Mark wants us to be shocked about is that our Lord Jesus The Son of God, whom Mark declared in chapter 1, verse 1, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He wants us to be shocked that our Lord Jesus, the Son of God, is letting this arrest happen to him. Think about all the nuclear weapons in the world. Think Think all of them, yeah? All the nuclear weapons in the world that we have right now. Think of them put together in one device. Our Lord Jesus is more powerful than that device. That is how much power is in the Garden of Gethsemane right now. That is how much power is standing in front of Judas, in front of this crowd that has come to arrest Jesus. Jesus can destroy everyone inside. And yet here we see that he doesn't do that. Instead, Jesus welcomes this moment of betrayal. Listen to his tone before he arrives. I hope you picked up the tone from verse 41 to verse 42 before, before, before um, Judas arrived. Listen to what Jesus said, what Mark tells us about what Jesus said. And, and he came, that's Jesus, came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. There is there's an eagerness in the voice of our Lord Jesus Christ there too. To now face his betrayer. To now face is death. Jesus is willingly allowing himself to be arrested by Judas. That's what Mark wants us to see. Now why would Jesus do that? Well, because this is the reason he has come. Jesus has come to be arrested by us. And this is what Jesus has been telling us from the beginning. In Mark chapter 10, verse 32 to 34, we read this. And taking the twelve again, he, that is Jesus, began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him. And we should change that into Jesus referencing himself. They will condemn me to death and deliver me over to the Gentiles. They will mock me in verse 34 and spit on me and flog me and kill me and after three days I will rise. Jesus this is what he has come to do. He has come to be arrested and then eventually killed. That's what he's been saying from the beginning. and That is what he has just said before entering Gethsemane. Look at Mark 14, the chapter we are looking at, verse 27. And Jesus said to them, to the disciples, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. And that is what Jesus says later on in verse 49. This is all the will of God. It's the will of Jesus himself. Look at verse 49. In the same section we're looking at. Day after day, we'll look at these words next week. Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching. And you did not seize me. You did not arrest me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. Jesus is saying, this is my will to be arrested. Jesus is not a helpless victim. He's allowing himself to be arrested by us. Because he has come for us. Jesus has come to exchange his freedom, his divine freedom, for our human slavery of sin, death, and hell. You see, if Jesus resists his arrest, then he won't die on that ragged cross. And if it does not die on Golgotha, then you and I must suffer the eternal punishment we deserve from God for our sin. We ourselves must bear on our back the very wrath and judgment of God. If Jesus does not die, if Jesus does not allow himself to be arrested and die on that cross, if the Lord of glory rejects his arrest, then you remain a slave to sin a slave to death, a slave to Satan, and a slave to the eternal flames of hell. You remain a slave to the wrath and judgment of God that you deserve for your rebellion against God. If Jesus refuses to be arrested, you see, we need... Jesus to be caged and led away to his death. Because you see, he alone as fully God and fully man is fit to be our eternal ransom before God that sets us free. Only the precious blood of Jesus can wipe away your sin and my sin. We need Jesus to to lay down his power in Gethsemane and allow himself to be cuffed and led to the guillotine of the cross and willingly put, as it were, his head on the chopping block of Golgotha. We need him to die in our place. And praise God that Jesus does that in Gethsemane. Jesus stays his hand. He allows himself to be arrested. He willingly loses his freedom for us. Jesus is God being arrested by us and for us. For our sins. So that we could be set free from the power and guilt of sin. So we could be set free from the everlasting punishment of God. The good news of Gethsemane, brothers and sisters, is that in this garden God held out his holy hands to be bound knowing full well that his very hands will be pierced for us. God in Jesus allowed himself to be detained all the way to Golgotha so that On that cross, he could be crushed for our sins. And through him being crushed on that cross, he may offer us eternal forgiveness from our eternal treason against God. Jesus, through his death, beloved, has purchased forgiveness for your every sin, past, present, future, Forgiveness from every sin in order to give you new life with God by His Holy Spirit. In order to plug you into the union of fellowship with Him. That's what Jesus has come to do. And you can have this if you truly repent of sin and surrender to Him. The key word is surrender. The work of Jesus has been done, but you must accept the work. You must repent and surrender to him. The offer of salvation is there, but you must repent, come to true surrender in Jesus. The key word is surrender. Because you see, a true follower of Jesus is one who has truly surrendered his or her heart to Jesus. Jesus must have your heart. Following Jesus is not knowing facts about Jesus or being around him. It is not about keeping the Ten Commandments or doing great gifts you know, having great gifts or doing miraculous things. It's not even about prayer. Following Jesus is a heart affair. It means God giving you A new heart that wholeheartedly loves Jesus. A heart growing every day in trusting him. You see, being a Christian means first that God must crack open your heart. Remove your current dead heart corroded by sin, treason, and all despicable filth of sin. All the darkness there It cracks open your heart, removes the darkness. And then it replaces all of that with his new heart, filled with the light and love of God. A heart flowing with the new intensity of his Holy Spirit. And you do not just get a new heart, beloved. God plugs that very heart with his very life of God. So that you now live in God and... God, by His Spirit, lives in you. And as a result, you now start growing in becoming more like Jesus. As you spend more and more time with Him, His divine power flows through you. Every day, the goodness of Jesus begins to increasingly replace your moral treason and filth and darkness Each passing week, the love of Jesus is overwhelming you like a torrent. You are showering more and more of his love and you're becoming more and more like Jesus. Loving the way he does. Each month that passes, his desires become your desires. His affections are becoming your affections. Every year, the life of God is flowing with increasing intensity through your spiritual veins. Of course, in all of these things, we still sin because we are trapped in this body. We'll still sin until we see Jesus face to face. And yet, in the context, even as we struggle with sin, the change that has happened in us means that we are becoming more and more sensitive to just how sinful we are and we are hating sin more and more. As John Newton has wonderfully put it, when we look back, we should be able to say, I am not what I should be. I am not what I want to be. And I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. You see, all two followers of Jesus know something of this experience. They have a wholehearted embrace of Jesus. And they are growing in that wholehearted embrace. Does this describe your life? You and I need to ask ourselves this question seriously. We need to ask ourselves, because Judas is proof that not everyone who follows Jesus, is actually truly following Jesus. Not everyone who attends church truly belongs to Jesus. Not everyone listening to this message or watching this message truly belongs to Jesus. Not every church member we have in our fellowship is a true believer. Not every person baptized in our church is a true believer. So all of us must ask ourselves this question seriously. Being a true follower of Jesus is not a matter of saying you are a Christian, it is a matter of the heart, it is a heart affair. Does Jesus have your heart? Do you have his new heart? You attend church regularly, yes, but have you truly surrendered to Him? You have said the sinner's prayer, yes, but do you and Jesus share the same desires? Are you growing every day to desire the things He desires? You are a church member, yes, very gifted in ease. I am sure. You sound like a follower of Jesus. But do you tremble at your sin? Does sin grieve you? Does it crush your heart the way it crushes the heart of God? You say a lot about your love of Jesus. But are you growing in loving his people? No one who's converted does not love the children of God. You cannot love Jesus and hate his bride. Now, we should be clear that we are served by faith alone. But true faith is never alone, friends. It's never alone. The faith that serves us gives us a new heart created in Christ Jesus to do the deeds that God ordained before and we read in Ephesians 2. verse ten. So we must ask ourselves some serious questions. So, if the answer to any of those questions is no, then simply put you you, you look outside that you belong to God, but underneath you are a Judas. Your heart has not truly surrendered to Jesus. And you need to agently run to Jesus and ask Him to give you a brand new heart. Oh, friends, do not remain in blindness. Do not rest on externals. Rest only on the cross. If your heart is not truly converted, if you you have not got a new heart from Jesus that loves him, you will suffer in hell with Judas forever. So do not remain blind to your true condition. You must be born again. You must truly be born again. Ask Jesus to give you a new heart. Truly surrender to him today. Some of you listening are among the 11 out of the 12. Some of you listening are truly followers of Jesus. God has given you a new heart. And the Spirit of God bears witness in your heart that every day you are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. You are born again. You are growing to become more like Jesus. You are not leaning on church attendance. You have truly repented of your sin. You hate sin. You want to be more and more like Jesus every day. Sin has no dominion over you. You have been set free from the power and guilt of sin. So, what does then this truth that Jesus is God arrested for us mean for you? You are a child of God, so what does this then mean? Well, it means your life must now surely be a ceaseless outpouring of thanks to God. You know that you do not deserve to have a Savior like Jesus. You know, if you are like me, how many times in your life you still betray His friendship with sin, and it crushes you. You can think of all the acts of treason you have committed this past week against your best friend Jesus, the one who always has your back. You know that you are not what you should be. And yet, despite all your sins, this passage is saying, nothing ever changes in your fundamental relationship between you and God. You have been accepted by God forever. You are his child. Why is that? Well, it is not because your sins do not matter to God anymore. In fact, because you have surrendered your life to Jesus, they matter more to God now than they probably did before. Because you see, your sins are more grievous to God than before because you do not just sin against the law now. You sin, you are a traitor against the light and love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. When you sin as a Christian, you are sinning against grace, sensation of grace, the cross of Jesus. So, of course, God is hurt by your sin even more now. God is now hurt even more that you are constantly posting online to seek other people's affirmation rather than resting in God's love. For you. You know, it bleeds your father's heart that you trust in your money more than you trust in him. To such a degree that you are willing to rob God of his tithes and offerings. It breaks his heart. You know, it pains God that you are not investing in your relationship with him. That you would rather spend more time on Twitter, Zoom, house party. Instagram and YouTube than in your Bible. It pummels the very heart of God that you are so bored with Him that you can't be bothered to spend more than 30 minutes in prayer to Him every day. It wounds God, beloved, that you betray His love for digital prostitutes, that you'd let your eyes look at pornography. And all the foul things we find online. The things that God hates. It wounds his heart that his own son, his own daughter, would do such a thing. And it deeply hurts God that you won't let him speak through you to others. You're so embarrassed of talking about his love for you and for other people to the unserved world. God is hurt by all of these things and much more. And yet, despite all these things, the central truth remains that God is thrilled to have you as his beloved child in Jesus. God is bananas over you. He cannot get over you, even as he hates the sins that you commit against him every day. The arrest of Jesus in Gethsemane is saying to us, God is so committed to be with us that he allowed the filthy hands of sinners to desecrate him. Oh, brothers and sisters, be thankful to God that you have in him such a gracious and merciful God who holds you close in His everlasting arms. You know, no one would ever go to prison for your crimes. You must do the time for you. But in Jesus, God has done much more than save time for you, He died on that cross for your sin. Past, present, future. Let us be thankful to him for that. It is only by his grace that we are his followers. We have nothing in of ourselves to commend us to God. Our good works are nothing but filthy rags. You know, Richard Sibb says this, God knows we have nothing of ourselves. So by his grace, he requires no more than he gives but gives what he requires and accepts what he gives. So this morning, how should we react to this truth that Jesus is God arrested by us and Jesus is God arrested for us? Oh, there's only one way to respond, isn't it? It is to praise God for his love and mercy towards us, wretched sinners. And then to pray that we would grow as children of God who have truly surrendered to Jesus, that we would grow in appreciating his love more and more. And then we pray out of the abundance of our thanks to pray to God that God would help us to keep meditating on this truth so that it can become a firewall that keeps any temptation of treason against God away we how can we sin against such love how can we love sin against such a God who loves us beyond measure our prayer must be that God would help us every day to genuinely repent of sin and to grow every day to become more But we don't do that out of our own effort. We do it by coming back to the cross, meditating on this truth that Jesus is God, arrested by us and for us. The more you and I appreciate that, the more we'll grow in living for him rather than for us. So let us pray to God to help us to keep our focus on this truth. May the Lord help all of us take this truth to heart. And grow us together in adoring and praising and surrendering to Jesus, our God, arrested for us. Amen.